Well, people drive me nuts. I don't know about you. People make me crazy. I don't know if they make you crazy. I mean, the world would be okay if there wasn't people in it, you know? Uh, James Taylor said it well. He said, uh, when this whole world goes to get me down, and people are just too much for me to face, I climb right up to the top of the stairs. And he gets up on the roof and gets away from them. But what's funny in the song is he invites somebody to join him up on the roof. So as much as people make us crazy, we need each other. It's kind of like porcupines. You know how porcupines make love, right? Very carefully. They move together, and they go to pricking each other, and they move away, and it gets cold, and they move together, and they have what's called the porcupine dance. I want to talk to you this morning about the most difficult thing you will ever do. And yet, if you pull it off well, it's the most satisfying in all of life, and that's human relationships. And, and this morning's not about fixing them. It's really about getting a perspective for you. Uh, people are built in three different ways. We're physical, we're emotional, and we're spiritual. Normally, I'm talking to you about spiritual things because that's why you're here. But today we want to talk to you about phase two, and that's emotional maturity. When a baby's born, it has to grow physically, but it also needs to grow emotionally and spiritually. The way a child grows emotionally or spiritually is they get saved at a young age and grow in the Lord. Physical, as long as you don't take them to McDonald's five times a day, they're probably going to grow physically. But there are things that will stunt their growth. You know, those things your mother told you when you were little, stay away from it, it'll stunt your growth. But, um, but emotional maturity is sometimes passed over and forgotten about. Thus, you have a 40-year-old who is emotionally about seven. I think you recently saw the tirades of, uh, who's that actor, Baldwin, on the streets of New York City. The guy's in his 60s. Emotionally, he's about 12 years old. You know, you poke him and he, poke him and he, and he hollers, poke him and he hollers. So I want to talk to you for a little bit and take uh, the parable of the prodigal son as a launching point to talk to you about relationships. And really, we have a lot to talk about this morning. Uh, here behind me is the chalkboard, and we're going to talk about some phrases. So put your thinking caps on. This will help you in your marriage. This will help you in your home. This will help teenagers growing up, kids, raising children. Everywhere you go, you deal with human relationships. In the church, everywhere. We're going to talk about differentiation of self and what that is. We're going to talk about shared anxiety. And then we're going to talk about fusion in relationships. Let me give you a brief description of each one. And then we'll move into the prodigal son after I've dropped some bombshells on you. Number one, differentiation of self. What is that? That is the equivalent of emotional maturity. The higher you are on a differentiation of self, you see yourself as a whole person. You see yourself not needing necessarily another human being to make you happy. You take responsibility for your life. 
what they do doesn't affect you so much because you are your own person. If you're, if you're low on differentiation of self, then you need other people to complete you. Their happiness will be your happiness. You tend to fuse with other people and overextend. There is, you, you, in fact, you expect other people to make you happy. In fact, that's their job. A person low on a differentiation of self or emotional immaturity looks for everything and everyone else to make them a whole person because they're not. It simply means that you are whole within you emotionally. Okay? You're developing your own personhood, if you will. Your individuality. This is who you are. I think you get to be about 30, 35, and you don't care about what anybody else says about you. You are who you are. The sooner you can get to that place in life, the happier you will be. Teenagers are in schools are just, I don't care how cool they look on the outside, they are captive to everyone's opinion around them. Just Then they're tore up when somebody thinks poorly of them. A suicide note said, he said, she said. Low on differentiation of self, you allow all those things to affect you. Number two, shared anxiety. That happens when people around you are very anxious and they want you to join in the anxiety and you get all tore up with them and you share something and you embrace something that's not yours to embrace. They're upset, you get upset. The problem with that is, is when you are incredibly anxious about something, you're not thinking. You become very emotional. Emotional states are not thinking states. So when your wife comes in and she's all anxious about situations, and you as a husband become anxious with her, who's doing the thinking? No one. And that's why you're screaming at each other, and no one's making any sense, and no one gets anywhere. Okay? So we're going to talk about the importance of not taking on other people's anxiety. Number three, we're going to talk about fusion in relationships. What is fusion in relationships? It is when you become so connected to someone that you can't breathe and you parasite off their lives. It's the old mama's boy mentality. Tied to mama's apron strings, if you will. Mothers do it to, to certain siblings. They might have five kids. One of them, for some reason, they're fused to. And you see it. You might say it's mom's favorite, but really it's fusion going on. It's an unhealthy connection where you lose yourself in another person, and you, you, you're, it, with that other person, you're not relaxed. Okay, everybody got fusion. All these things happened in the parable, in the parable of the prodigal, the prodigal, the lost son. All right, you ready for some bombshells? Are you ready? This is going to shock some of you. This is going to hurt some of you. Some of you won't hear, hear a thing I say after I say this. But I don't care. I'm going to land them on you. Number one, you cannot change anyone. Can't do. Let the pressure be off of you. You can't change everyone. Number two, 
You can't fix anybody. Wives, quit trying. You can't fix that old buzzard. Husbands, you definitely can't fix your wives. You can't fix your kids. You can't fix your, you definitely can't fix your teenagers. The only hope for your teenagers is to kill them. No, it's not. No, it's not. Number three, you cannot rescue anyone from their dilemma. You can't. Number four, and it's the last bombshell before we look at the scripture, you should only focus on you. Your question should always be, not what's going on all around me. Your question shouldn't be, if that person would just straighten up and I got a plan to help him do that. Your question should always be, hmm, why am I reacting like I'm acting? Why am I responding to this particular situation like I am? Because you're the only one you can work with. Now, the exciting thing is when you change, everybody tends to change around you. Not always and not automatically. All right, let's get into the story and let's, let's because we got a lot of territory to go ahead. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. All those terms and all these phrases and all this relational stuff is right in the story. You ready? Here we go. Chapter 15, verse 11. A certain man had two sons. I love that because here you have a father, and it's not mentioned that he's a father. He is a man that had two sons. He's not a father who had two sons. This is a man who happened to have two sons. You wear a lot of hats. You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a father, you're a grandfather. You wear a lot of hats. Listen to me, that's not who you are. You are an individual that is above and beyond all the titles that you wear. Now why do I say that? Because this is an example of a strong differentiation of self. Over 30 years ago, I became a father. And I was a father to John for 18 years. When he turned 18, I was no longer his father. I am now his friend. If you identify yourself with a label and title, you're scared to death for that title to go away. Life is a series of transitions from level and phase of life to level and phase of life. He is no longer my son in a technical way. He is a man who takes care of himself and his family. I don't take care of him. He takes care of himself. I am no longer his father. I am his friend. Got it? Now, as long as Kieran will have me, I'll be a husband. But I'm more than a husband. I am a man who happens to be a husband. I have a life. I develop my life. I develop my hobbies. I develop my education. I develop myself because until I die, I'm going to keep, keep making myself a self. I don't depend on my children or my grandchildren to make me happy. I am a, 
a, a singular person. My identification is not a title. It's my relationship with Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. I am a, a man who is in Christ. Christ is in me. And that new creation is my essential identity. Don't take any title as your identity because then you'll be crippled with that title. Okay? This is an example of a strong differentiation of a self. Some of you right now are terrified because you've never been a self. All your life you've, been, you, you've not been a whole person. And this is the reason many times relationships break down. You're expecting them to do something for you that they cannot do. And that's make you whole. Only God can make you whole. Only you can make you whole. Okay, let's move on to the story. Look at verse 11. This certain man had two sons. Already I know there's anxiety. Already I know there's a problem. You don't have more than one sibling without a problem. You don't have two brothers, two sisters, a brother and sister in the family without problems. I remember every year we used to make a trip to upstate New York. 21 hours in a car with two little ones in the back. The anxiety got so bad at one point with them two scrapping and fighting in the back that I took every toy away from them, everything they could possibly tug a war with. Two minutes down the road, I hear them screaming again. I wonder, what have they got to fight over? They had the seatbelt buckle and they were wrestling over that. I recently talked to an elderly lady whose siblings, I'm sorry, her children were fussing and fighting. Bad. And I tried to counsel the lady to make a move so that the the brother and sister would not fight anymore. And this is what she told me in her 80-some years. Shocked me. I couldn't believe she said it. She said, oh, let them fuss. It's good for them. Already two sons. I know there's a lot. My father used to say to me, you guys want to fight? Get out in the yard. Didn't try to break it up. He said, just don't wreck anything in the house. Just get outside. Okay, you got, you got more than one child. You got anxiety. Well, praise the Lord. Let him go at it. Don't get all stressed. You can't fix that. All right, so watch, watch what happens in the story. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided, notice, unto them. His living. Now, a couple things come out for me at this point. Notice uh, this was a, a younger son who was incredibly self-centered and selfish. Didn't wait for his father to die. He just said, give me what is coming to me. And you have kids like that in families. So all they care about is what they can get. You really see it come around funeral time. You really can, When the wills, you, you, you see it then. You see it bad. It starts when they're very young. Now watch this. Here is a young man who asked for everything that was coming to him. Charles Ryrie has a note at the bottom of his study Bible that says this, that this was an unusual request and an unwise decision by the father. I disagree with Charles Ryrie at this point. It was a, a very selfish request, but I think it was a wise response of the father. Notice he said here, Go on, take it. He doesn't argue with the boy. He doesn't try to negotiate with the fella. He says, here, you want it? It's yours. Now, the child was of age. It was a son who was 
probably in his late teens. You want it? Take it. If I haven't done a good enough job as a parent that you're going to do that, take it. Go on. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to try to rescue you. I'm not going to try to fix you right now. Take it. Take it. Notice it involved the older son. It just didn't divide between the younger. It says the older at this. Now, if you're the older brother, you got a raw deal, and let me tell you why. Because if I'm the older brother, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, don't give me my inheritance because you might live 10 more years and you might get more and I'll get more inheritance. Let him have what he wants now. But notice the decision of the younger affected the older. It is impossible in a family for one to go bad and not for in some way to affect other siblings in the family. Are you ready for this piece of advice? If you're, if you're the older brother who got messed over, deal with it. Get over it. Quit belly aching about it. The reason the father gave them both at the same time is because he would be equal with both sons. How gracious of the father to the younger son who was being selfish to say, look, I'm giving the older and the younger so you both get an equal so nobody can say I gave more to one than the other. That's, that's wow. But the older kind of got messed over on the deal. I got, I got a cartoon for you. Are you ready? Because you can't help it when other people make bad decisions around you and it affects you. What you can control is your attitude about it and your decision of how to respond. Okay? Take a look at this cartoon. I'll I'll read it for you because it's a little difficult to see. The upper left-hand corner says, McDonald's made me fat. Upper right-hand corner, Philip Morris gave me cancer. Bottom left, Jack Daniels wrecked my car. Bottom right, if only I had been there to stop them. Mm-hmm. See that? See the older son who gets kind of jacked over because of decisions in the family? You still have a responsibility. Look at the story as it unfolds. And we'll kind of move through it so we can get through it. Verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered everything took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. No surprise to the father. He kind of knew what was going on. He knew after a couple of days of courtesy, the boy would take off and notice that he went to a far country. He did what psychologists call distancing and cut off. He cut himself off from his family, and he went into a far country. I, you know, you wonder why he didn't go closer to home. The story goes on in verse 14. And when he had spent all, he applied at the local welfare center and the state began to take care of all his... Wait a minute, hold on. I'm sorry, I've got a bad translation here. Obviously, this wasn't written in America. And when he had spent all, notice, there arose a mighty famine in the land And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to the citizens of that country. And they sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have barely have filled his belly with the husk of the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Good. No, listen to me. No man gave unto him. 
good. Why is it so intolerable for us to watch people suffer and let them suffer? No one gave to him good. We say, well, that's awfully heartless. That's awfully inhumane. Well, the boy got here because of his riotous living. And if somebody gave him something to eat, he would continue his riotous living. I see no care packages coming from the father. I see no communication from the home. I see no one coming down into the far country trying to talk the boy into coming home. Nothing. It's what James Dobson calls tough love. It's called growing up. It's called suffering. And it is good. Do you know if you rescue a butterfly from coming out of a cocoon, you will kill it? As the butterfly struggles to get out of his cocoon, the very fight and struggle to get out pulses blood into the wings which they use when they get out to fly away. If you help that booger get out of the cocoon, they will die. I watched this in my own backyard with my grandson Bennett. Whitney and I were with the kids at the playground thing we've got back there. And there is a rock climb. You know, those plastic things climbing up. And Benny watched Lorelai go up at once. And he's like, I got it, man. Like a little monkey. Up and down. Two, three times he went up. The third time he went up, he struggled. He didn't quite know where to put his foot. He, he had to, you know. And so Whitney and I, both of us, lunged forward. No, no, Benny. Benny, over here. Over here. Put your foot here. Put your, you know. And, and, and you know, he got up. And then I watched as we backed away, as he went down the slide, he went back in front of that rock climb and hesitated and paused. He had lost his confidence. Why had he lost his confidence? Because we did it for him. I said, look at that, Whitney. He's scared now. Now, after a few minutes, he got his confidence, but he did it himself. Oh, come here. Let me help you put your shoes on. Well, he's 16. He ought to be putting them on himself. (laughs) Oh, but he can't do it. What makes you think he can't do it? What makes you want to do it? Maybe you want to stay so connected to him because you're afraid to lose the mommy thing. Do you know when you begin to prepare your child for leaving home? Six months. Now, they're not going to leave home at six months. I'm saying you better get them prepared. No, no, you do that. No, no, you do that. Benny yesterday pulled a big cushion off the couch. You know those tags in the back, they're on the cushion. So I looked over and said, Benny, put that back. So he looked at it and looked at me and he looked at it and he began to work on it. Do you know as little as he was, as big as that cushion was, twice his size, he maneuvered that thing around and got it in, tagged back, 
and was pushing it in, grunting. Uh, uh, uh. Finally, he looked at her and he goes, I need help. Finally, I helped him a little bit because he was just at the end of himself. Let them struggle. If they're hungry, don't feed them. You know how I learned to feed myself? My mother was an operator at night, telephone operator at night. And every night she went to work at the telephone company, I was left alone. If I got hungry, nobody scrambled my eggs. I scrambled them myself. Okay, move on to the story. We still got a lot of time and not much time. Still have to cover it. All right, look here. And then uh, verse... uh, Verse 17, and look at the result of his struggling. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I'm going hungry. This is what I'll do. This, and no, the boy figures this out. Amazing. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before, and, and, no, against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And you know the rest of the story. It rose. He came back to his dad. His dad embraced him and took him back. Let me just tell you the rest of the story about the older brother. Because he had an attitude. He shows up. He hears about the party going on inside the house. He goes, what's all the noise about? Ah, your, your, your brother's come home from the far country. And your dad killed the fatted calf. What's his reaction? It shows there was fusion between him and his brother. Wasn't happy. In fact, when he talked to his father, he said, This thy son. He didn't say, This my brother. We use that kind of verbiage when we have fusion with people. We don't say their names. We don't identify them. You know, your son just spilled the milk. Don't we? All right. A lot to cover up here, and we're going to do it in a matter of five minutes. All right? This is going to be fast. What's going on here is over and under functioning. What is over and under functioning? Over is you're doing too much for other people. Under is they're letting you do it. The following bullet points are examples of over functioning for somebody else. The under is just reverse it. Over functioning for others You give a lot of advice. You do for others what they ought to be doing for themselves. You worry about people. Sometimes people make worrying for others a spiritual thing. Like, I love them so much, I worry so much about them. You're over fun. Why are you worried about somebody else? Well, because they can't. Who said they can't? Number three, four, feeling responsible for others. People are responsible for themselves. Knowing what's best for others. My wife is just an emotional cripple. I know what's best for her. Mentally, she's just not there. My husband, he's just, I just, I know what's best for him. Really. Do you? Talking more than listening. Having goals for other people that they don't have for themselves. How many of y'all got goals for your children? Oh, my teenager's going to be a, a rocket science. Better get them out of high school first. 
No, they better get themselves out of high school. How many of y'all have ever done a science project for your kid? Well, if they did it, it wouldn't. Oh, really? Well, let them let it look like it's going to look. How many of you have done homework for your children? Seriously? Well, they'd fail. Let them fail. Their grades are their responsibility. What is it about us that we don't want those people around us to fail? What is it about us? What's your fear? Failing could be the best thing that ever happened to them. It makes them responsible. Listen to me, teenagers. You are growing to be responsible adults. No one's in charge to take care of you. You take care of yourself. If parents are over-functioning, get them out of your life in that way. Number two, triangles in relationships. This is what we do in relationships. We form triangles. What you had in the story, you had a younger son triangling with an elder son. There's fusion. The elder son tried to pull the father into that anxiety circuit. Think of it like an electrical circuit. There's an electricity between two people that are struggling. They don't get along. They're not talking. Or when they talk, they fight. So what do you do? You go somewhere else. You go tell a coworker about it. You go tell your pastor about it. You go tell a, a, another sibling about it. Because the anxiety is so hard and furious and difficult, you can't deal with that, so you leave it and you pull somebody else in. Now, if you're the third party, if you'll notice in the story what the father did, he did not join in the anxiety between the two of them. He simply restated that the, your, your brother, who was, it, it was dead and he's alive, come and, come and party with us. Triangling is something human beings do. You're not going to stop yourself from doing it. If you're the third part of that triangle, always send the fusion back between the two. Be a neutral bystander in it. Don't take sides. Because when you take sides, you complete an electrical circuit and you cripple the ability of the bottom two to deal with their problems. Okay? A student that's having trouble with their teacher and a teacher who's having trouble with a student bring a parent into the situation. And what's the parent's first response most of the time? You know, my, my kids, it must be the way you're teaching. Your kids are going to deal with difficult situations all their life. They have to learn to do it themselves. All right, a couple more and we're done. I could talk about this for a long time. This is, a, this is a relational pattern that goes on. It's called distancing. Distancing. When there's anxiety between you two, between you and another person, one of the patterns, and you learn these patterns in your families of origin. You simply got out of the room. You got out in the yard you took off. 
Or maybe you stayed in the same room and distanced yourself from the struggle by not talking about it. The marks of distancing are this, excessive periods of non-communication. Number two, that's, that's not a word, but we'll make it a word. Being a workaholic, workaholism. You're always at work. You bring work home because you want to stay away from the relationships in your family. You listening to me? And you say, oh, I'm such a devoted worker. No, you're not. You're avoiding the anxiety within your families and home and relationships. The lady who I'm, the, the teacher that I go to at the college class, her father was a judge here in town. And he's, he's deceased. But she said, you know, her daddy worked 18 hours a day. And it wasn't because he was such a devoted judge. There was so much anxiety in the family, he just got away from it. Number three, the abuse of drugs and alcohol. It's a form of distancing. It's getting into a phony, false swirl that is bathed in dreams and non-reality. Drugs and alcohol. Excessive times with hobbies. Now, I know you all got hobbies out there, and you ought to enjoy your hobbies, but you spend a little too much time in the woods, you're getting away from your family. Or maybe you just... Take your mate out in the woods, and that's okay. <laughs> Golf. Nothing wrong with the hobbies. Excessive time with the hobbies is the problem. You're trying to stay away from the issues that you need to be dealing with. Quietness when anxiety rises, and talk that includes nothing of personal importance with others. It's all forms of dealing. All right, cut off, and then we're going to have some final principles, okay? Cut off. What is cut off? Cut off is a decision by one or both of the parties to end a relationship. Divorce is a form of cut off. It's that aunt that hasn't talked to you in uh, 40 years. They, they cut off. Sometimes cut off is uh, by one person or both parties. There, you, nobody's talking. In fact, they don't even show up at the same places together. Uh, number two, there tends to be an, an immediate euphoria. That happens when you cut off with somebody who brings a lot of anxiety, you're really happy, but usually depression sets in because there's still that fusion going on. Just because they live in another state doesn't mean there isn't still anxiety within you about it. Number three, emotional immaturity is the source of all cut off, and cut off is not always permanent. Sometimes people do come back together. All right. Are you staying with me? You see all this in the parable of the prodigal, the, 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 um, the lost son. Number one. People make irresponsible choices in life all around you. You can't fix it. You can't change it. It happens. Younger sons take all their possessions and take off. People make irresponsible. Your children will make irresponsible choices. You can't change that. Number two, it is not my place to stop them. Now, if your four-year-old son gets the carving knife from the turkey plate, stop him. I'm not talking about that. But when people are of a responsible age and they make irresponsible choices, let them go. Let them make the choices. Go on, take your inheritance and take off. Don't negotiate with it. It's not your place to stop them. Number three, when they suffer, it is not my place or your place to relieve them of the suffering. Don't go bail them out. 
Don't rescue them financially. If they've made bad choices, they need to be broke and hungry. If they got a speeding ticket, they pay it. It's not your place to relieve their suffering. Number four, suffering has a purpose. And if you rescue them from their suffering, they won't learn and grow in life. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And by the way, I speak probably more to ladies than to men, mothers. Ladies have a more difficult time many times to allow their children or loved ones to suffer. If I can encourage you to get a little bit of rhino skin around your heart about this. Not on everything, but you better get tough. Because you are not helping them by relieving their suffering. The question you need to ask is, why do you want to rescue them? Do you not want them to grow up? Do you want to be mom their whole life and have a 35-year-old living at your house? Do you want a holiday inn for all your kids? What is so scary about letting them go? What is so scary about letting people go? If you have a strong you, you can do this. If you don't, this stuff terrifies you. couple more. Struggling is the way we grow as individuals. It's just the way we grow. It's what God has designed, designed for us to grow. You know how a child gets air in their lungs when they're born? They have to struggle down the birth canal. And in the fight to get out, they begin to breathe. And lastly, I think that's the last one. Nope, second to last. It's not my job to make anybody happy. Happy, happy, happy. (laughs) That's your job, to make yourself happy. You go and pursue happiness. That's not my job. I love the cartoon of the two snakes twisted up in the cave. One looks at the other and says, take what's yours and get out. Your happiness is your deal. So husbands, you don't have to make your wife happy. That's not your job. (laughs) Come on now. Stay with me. Absolute. Nope, nope, nope. It is your wife's job to make herself happy. It is your husband's job to make you a little bit happier. Okay? But not happy. Because sometimes husbands don't do what they ought to do and say what they ought to say. And sometimes wives don't. If I expect Karen to make me happy, I'm expecting an elephant to walk across between two mountains on a piece of dental floss. (laughs) It ain't going to happen. Big boy's coming down. 
So Mike makes Mike happy. I get happy in Jesus. I get happy in the Lord. I love you guys, but I don't expect you guys to make me happy. Now, you guys make me happier, absolutely. But we all take responsibility for our own lives. Everybody. And when we do, we grow in the level of our emotional maturity. And we become strong, differentiated selves who know who we are in Christ and can transition the relationships of our lives and make sense out of them. 